The Gospel, a Basic Truth, is sponsored by One Jump Ahead, a nonprofit sport ministry with a focus on strengthening families on our journey together. They provide a family oriented sport with Christ centered values and a unique look into how jump rope goes hand in hand with the gospel and our daily walk with Christ. Check them out. Go to onejumpahead.org. That's onejumpahead.org. Greetings, the Gospel of Basic Truth. This is a podcast series where we look at where to find the gospel message in Scripture in addition to John 3.16. We do that to encourage you and your faith and to provide you with some additional tools as you witness to family and friends. We've also been doing uh, some interviews. Uh, We recently released an interview with uh, Dr. Jim Woodman in the Bitter, Bitter Sweet Story of how he led a a young man from Iran to salvation, and this young man was eventually martyred. Today, it's very uh, uplifting, and it's my pleasure today to uh, be interviewing Dr. Andy Pierce. He is the Director of Church Partnerships with the International Students Ministry. Andy, welcome. Could you tell us about the International Students Ministry, what it is, and where you do it? Thank you. It's great to be with you, and great to have this opportunity to share my story and what God has been doing in the lives of international students all across the U.S. And the ministry is actually called, usually called ISI, International Students Incorporated. And the mission statement is to share Christ's love with international students in cooperation with the local church and others. And so it's a welcoming ministry. And the idea is to love students who come from other countries to study at our colleges and universities, or even to do postgraduate research, to love them with the love of Jesus and to care for them in a way that is life-changing, in a way that helps them to understand the gospel, not just with words, but with actions. So it's really a service-oriented ministry. We also call it oftentimes friendship evangelism. So that's, in a nutshell, what ISI does as a ministry. We have about 20 200 staff nationwide, a few in other countries, and about 300 what we call ministry representatives, which are volunteers who are part of the family in terms of getting access to more resources. And we mostly, and we desire to work through the local church, as it says in our mission statement, to cooperate with the local church and others. So that's a part that I enjoy about ISI is cooperating coming alongside the local church. So Andy, your uh, title actually is the director, I think, of Church Partnerships. So what is your role now in the ministry of ISI? So as I said, with our mission statement, the uh, cooperating with with the local church, the goal now is for me to uh, uncover churches across the U.S. and really across the world that are already involved with international student ministry, which we call ISM, or have a strong interest in ISM and come alongside them and help them do it better. So I try to build relationships with pastors and other church leaders and offer uh, to help them uh, with their goal, which uh, would, whatever that might be, but it's usually usually involved with sharing Christ's love with international students. And uh, many across the U.S., and across the world have a great heart for this ministry, but sometimes they need resources, 
they sometimes are isolated because they're not part of a wider organization. And so I want to come alongside them and care for them and offer resources, almost as a consultant would in business. So I have the, the knowledge and the access to resources and uh, almost to, uh, to help in any way that I can help them be successful with what they're trying to do with international students. And you've been in this uh, role about a year now. It's a, it's a brand new role in, uh, in ISI. Could you tell us what you did with ISI be- before becoming the Director of Church Partnerships? Previously with ISI, 23 years ago, I began as the Southern California Area Director. And so that was uh, very similar to what I'm doing now at a national, even global level, trying to find churches that are interested in international student ministry and connect them with international students at the local college and university. A big focus was working through Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena on the campus of California Institute of Technology in Pasadena, which is one of the top five universities in the world. And so for over 20 years, we've had a conversational English class on Mondays where we have uh, we open it up to anybody in the Caltech or even JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory International Community. We also have monthly activities, and that's actually continuing to happen, uh, such as a Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas gathering, Easter party, Easter egg hunt, uh, many, many hiking, things like that. We also have done a number of uh, airport pickups as a way to serve international students at another university. And so very involved with direct uh, ministry of of welcoming. And then for those students that are interested, we invite them into a Bible study. And we also invite them into a local church if they are uh, interested if, uh, in, a, in a church experience. If they're already Christians, then we try to get them into a church so they can be discipled and trained up as leaders. And the goal is to see them go back to their home country, uh, reproducing themselves as Christian leaders. So that's what we call full cycle evangelism, which is a big part of what I was involved in uh, previously and actually continued to be involved in, even in my new role. And you are involved in uh, a lot of speaking engagements. I know you uh, talk a lot, uh, teach some of the classes for for perspectives. So could you tell us what perspectives is and and what you do there? Perspectives is a short term for perspectives on the world Christian movement. Next year will be the 50th anniversary of the class. And it started 49 years ago by Dr. Ralph Winter in Pasadena, who is one of the preeminent missiologists or mission strategists, and he recognized a need to train men and women within the churches to focus on unreached people groups. And those are ethnic groups that do not have a viable church planning movement within their group. And so he started this class. It's a 15-week class, so one class a week, usually hosted by local churches. And it's an amazing curriculum. The first five weeks are the theological basis for missions. And then the next three weeks are the historical basis. Then it gets into the cultural realities of mission. And then uh, the nuts and bolts, so to speak, of how to plant churches, especially cross-culturally, and then how to become a world Christian. So it's a 15 weeks, as I said, each class is about three hours long. And each of the 15 lessons has a different instructor or professor. And so that's one of the unique aspects about it is that you have 15 different instructors. And so it's hosted by churches across the U.S. 
and really across the world. It's in several different languages. And uh, I specialize mostly in the history classes, although I've taught almost all of the lessons. And uh, across the U.S., there are probably a, more than 200 classes uh, each semester. And for instance, in the spring, I'll be teaching 20 classes in person in about a six-week period, including in Montana, Alaska, Washington State, all across uh, the western part of the U.S. So it's a wonderful opportunity for churches to learn about about uh, uh, missions, especially uh, cross-cultural communication of the gospel. Andy, I've been in the perspectives class. I went through the 15 weeks, and uh, I I have to say, folks, if you're listening to this and you've never heard a perspectives class, uh, ask. Uh, And if if they're giving it in another church, sign up. This is an incredible opportunity to learn about about missions. Uh, And I... I, I use that stuff all the time. It's it's just a, a very great class. And so Andy's obviously one of the people who does a lot of teaching in this. I uh, first uh, met Andy when I was uh, a, a volunteer ministry rep with uh, ISI in Southern California. Uh, we had a church ministry uh, that had been around for a long time. And my wife and I were the brand new uh, leaders, and we did not know what we were doing. And so my mentor, Dr. Ev Bruckner, says, you got to get involved with ISI and meet this guy, Andy. So um, just had some uh, great times. Uh, Andy and I would meet once a month, about halfway at an Indian restaurant. Now, uh, Andy had mentioned about friendship evangelism. Uh, Friends, typically we say there's two kinds of evangelism, friendship evangelism and then proclamation evangelism. Obviously, friendship evangelism is when you try to witness to somebody who's a friend. And proclamation, you just kind of go up and you scream at, no, you go up and you say, are you saved? Or something like that. I'm being a little facetious here. But friendship evangelism seems to be more effective. But making friends with people in another culture or another language, that can be quite hard. Now, as you've heard, Andy has got friends all over the world. In fact, as I was walking out of the house today, my wife said, oh, Andy just posted some pictures on Facebook. He, he's in Eastern, or he was in East Asia recently. So what we're going to do here for our rest of our time, Andy is going to take us through his story of working with the Gujarati people. But before he does that, Andy, you have met people from really all over the world what is kind of your general approach uh, in dealing with internationals, people in a cross-cultural situation, uh, just in a general way? What, what's your going-in thought? My going-in thought as I meet uh, students who are coming from all over the world is to connect with them at, a, at the heart level. And so before I meet someone, let's say I'm going to the airport to pick up a, an arriving student from Korea or from, from India or from China, I will pray that, uh, I do pray that I will embody the characteristics of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as it says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So when we say embody, that really is its incarnational ministry, uh, incarnational approach to ministry that I want to be Jesus to them so that when they meet me, when they connect with me, when they even feel like I'm 
their their father or their uncle or their grandfather. No, I know uh, that's that's been a, uh, a reality for you, Andrew, as you have met. I think you've told me before you have a, one of the Indian students you met considers you to be his his a father. Is that true? Oh yes, yes. Yeah. So so that's that's the idea is is really to to become a family member. Uh, for them to consider me to be a family member, and then uh, for them to ask questions such as why I'm so kind to them, why I'm good. And so 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 interesting as I pray that prayer to embody the characteristics of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, so many times uh, that prayer is answered when they ask me questions about why am I kind, why do I have those characteristics? And so that's a great question to answer. Why are you kind? And that it gets at the heart level as well. So it's not so much about having an agenda as someone might have in proclamational evangelism or even uh, other approaches. It's about having God's agenda. And I find that many times when I do meet a, uh, a new student or even, even someone in my neighborhood from a different culture, uh, that God has already been working in their heart. So that's another uh, philosophical approach is to realize that, that it's, it's evangelism as a team sport. It's not up to me. It's often, uh, I will pick up a, uh, several times I've picked up a student from Hong Kong or China, and he or she will say, oh, I watched Christian television or listened to a podcast, uh, and I've, I've got some questions about the gospel. And, or they say, I've got an aunt uh, who's a Christian who's been praying for me. And so that's very common that, that God has already worked in the heart's of, of others, and so that's, that's very comforting and, and to know that God can use us, but we need to make the connection. So that's really my goal, is not just to, to meet someone uh, from another culture, a student, but to, to connect with them at the heart level and to, to be Jesus to them. And that's really what Jesus did, was he connected very well, often over food, and, and then he answered questions, like who is my neighbor or what how can someone be born again? Things like that. So that's really the the the, uh, the general idea is to uh, is to connect and then have them be Jesus and then have them ask questions. You know, Andy, this is great. I <clears throat> I've had uh, two different people from India who are Christians uh, ask me. I've never witnessed. I don't know how. I I, I wish I had heard this <laughs> twelve fifteen years ago. Because, you know, it's not a formula. It's how do I, how do I be like God? How, how do I be the fruits of the Spirit? So, folks, I hope you're hearing what Andy said here today. So today you're going to talk to us about your walk with the Gujarati people. Could you first explain Gujarat, Gujarati people? Where is it? Who are they? And how did you get motivated to begin to work with them? So... India is made up of 27 states, and each state really has its own culture, its own, and definitely uh, its own language is pretty common. And so uh, Gujarat is one of the states. It's on the far western uh, tip of India, just above Mumbai. has about 60 million people in it. And one out of six Gujaratis is from the Patel community. So maybe some of you know what Patel, P-A-T-E-L, uh, many uh, came to the U.S. to be doctors, and uh, 75% of the independent hotels in the U.S. are owned by Patels. 
And so sometimes they're called Patel motels. Also, Gujaratis are highly diasporic, so they're all over the world. So there are, I meet Gujaratis that were born in Kenya, in Tanzania, in England, in Myanmar, in many, many countries, countries that were part of the, of the, uh, the British colonial uh, empire. So they are, the, they are highly diasporic. They're all over the world. And they're also very, very wealthy as a, as a state. And also when we look at the Gujaratis who come to the U.S., they are also, uh, yeah, very, very wealthy. They're interested in, in owning things, including motels. And, uh, and they are very, very um, Hindu as well. So in the state of Gujarat, there's just a very, very small percentage of Christians. Most are Hindus and from the, the, more, the higher castes or more forward communities, we say. And, uh, and then a big distinctive is speaking the language. So I got interested only because... Uh, three Gujaratis filled out our airport pickup request form. I had never heard of the state of Gujarat. I had never eaten Indian food in my life. I didn't know a single Indian, but these three filled out the form, and I went to the airport to pick them up, and they were so kind. They were so thankful. When I picked them up, they had they arrived in the middle of the night. They said they had never been on an airplane before. They had never left Gujarat before or, or India before, and they had always lived with their parents. They're, they're, these are graduate students. And so uh, I picked them up, took them to their apartment, and then later they invited me to eat with them. And when I ate the Gujarati food, and it's a little bit different from other Indian food, it actually has some sugar in it, and they're also highly vegetarian. They don't even eat egg. When I ate the food, which they had uh, despiced quite a bit, uh, it was amazing. I, I love the food, and... Uh, then I became, yeah, then I became interested in learning more about the culture since I'd never heard of it before. And I began to watch movies, actually Hindi movies, uh, Bollywood. Uh, and then later I've watched a lot of Gujarati movies. And uh, yeah, just, and they, they, be, they were very, very good friends. They would invite, they would check, call me on my birthday. They kept inviting me over to eat. And what cemented it was in 2011, I was invited to Gujarat to, to visit a couple family members of students, and I went, and went before I even landed, the plane landed in Gujarat, I was emotional. I couldn't believe that I was uh, going to be in India. I brought one of my daughters with me, and it was just, yeah, just amazing to be there. But with, as I was with the families, I realized they weren't speaking English. They didn't know English. They didn't know Hindi even, which is more of a national language. They spoke the Gujarati language. And so I began to learn a few phrases. And when I got back home, so I became motivated to learn the Gujarati language, which was a huge, unexpected motivation because I had never learned another language before. And I'm not, I'm not young anymore. There, there was a sense that the language, language learning is done best by children and younger people. And I'm not, I'm not uh, young anymore. And, but I went, I met a missionary who was serving among Gujaratis in the U.S., and he gave me some materials, a lesson book, and I began to uh, slowly learn Gujarati. And he, uh, this friend advised me to learn to read Gujarati. So I began to, to read carefully 
the, the uh, characters are very different, the letters, and I began to learn phrases and also went to students to help me. So I would walk into their apartments and, and read to them and they would, they would help me understand it. And so I learned the daily practice, slow progress. Uh, and then at, the more language I learned, the more I fell in love with the people, the culture, and the more I became motivated to learn more and to go back. So I've actually been back to Gujarat four, uh, four more times stay with families and also I realized that uh, there's Gujaratis there's no church that is comfortable to for them and so they are it's called an unreached people group and so I began to um, you know, to bring Jesus to them and to eat more with them and to tell stories about Jesus and to go back to my prayer about embodying the characteristics of the fruit of the Holy Spirit with them and answer questions so that was that was how i've gone from not hearing the word not gujarat before having no idea to becoming a uh, really almost a gujarati myself it's it's called an incarnational ministry one of my heroes in mission is hudson taylor became chinese uh, to reach the chinese people he wore chinese clothes he took a chinese name and completely, almost completely became Chinese. So he's a hero of mine. So when I realized that, so I actually, when I interact with any Indians, I don't say my name is Andy. I say my name is Anand, A-N-A-N-D. Uh, and so that's, that evokes questions. Why, why am I named Anand? And, uh, and then of course, if I'm Gujarati, my last name has to be Patel. So all over Gujarat, I, I, I would uh, I would become known as being the the white Gujarati, yeah, <laughs> Anand Patel. So that's yeah that's a been a, a uh, and when they ask me why I love uh, Gujarat so much and Gujaratis, uh, the answer I give them, uh, which is which is uh, really a testimony, is I say it in their language. I say it's a miracle of God, which it truly is that someone like me, uh, has developed such a deep love for, for Gujaratis and for the food and the culture. And I always say, you can't fake this. It's, it's, it's God, it's God changing me so much. So it be in the line of changing things. Um, what lifestyle and diet changes have you, uh, made or, uh, transformed here through working with the Gujaratis? My lifestyle and diet have both changed considerably since I met Gujaratis. One of the uh, big parts of their culture is vegetarianism. And they're actually, they're so strict at vegetarianism that they don't even eat eggs. So they're not vegan, but they, they don't eat any meat or, or eggs. But they, they do have dairy, cheese, and, and milk is fine. And so at first... I told them that I was I, I do eat meat when they asked me and, and we have the freedom in Christianity to, to eat anything and uh, but then they started sending me YouTube videos showing <laughs> slaughterhouses and and uh, yeah, just the, the uh, from PETA of course and I, I would uh, you know I would uh, address back and then I realized you know if uh, that it's it's a barrier to the gospel to the good news 
that maybe is unnecessary. Uh, it's just like if, if I was serving full-time in the Muslim world, if I ate pork, if I walked in eating hot dogs and having bacon, uh, then that would be a barrier, and maybe it's unnecessary. And that's, again, what we learned in the perspectives class. And so, it, uh, and I realized if I tell them that I eat beef or cow, it would be like you, me telling you, Andrew, that, that I eat dog. It's just, it's just offensive telling an American that I had dog for breakfast because that's for Americans. Dog is sacred. Dogs are sacred for, uh, for, for Indians. <laughs> uh, the cows are sacred. So that was so I, I prayed and, uh, and God told me to become a, a vegetarian and I don't miss I don't miss meat at all. So uh, and no omelets, no scrambled eggs. The strict uh, vegetarians won't eat uh, things with egg in them, like a cake or bread. But but when they're in the U.S., they, it's too hard to do that. So it just means avoiding scrambled eggs and omelets, and then yeah, hamburgers. Thankfully, there's a there are a lot of uh, products like Beyond Beef or Impossible Burgers that taste pretty good. But I actually don't miss uh, chicken or beef or pork at all. And so that's been one change. So my, so that's been a change. My breakfast, when I started eating the Gujarati food, is so tasty and, and uh, sometimes healthy. does have a lot of oil in it and a lot of sugar. But my breakfast every morning, including this morning, is a flattened uh, par- parched rice dish called poa, P-O-H-A, which is, which is a flattened rice spiced up with turmeric and coriander and other spices. So I kind of stir fry it, a little bit of of olive oil, and so that's the typical Gujarati breakfast, along with a flatbread uh, that they have, not not naan, but there's many different kinds of flatbread uh, with ghee on top, and then I also drink Indian, uh, maybe you've heard of chai, which is which is a tea with a lot of milk in it, a lot of sugar, and so I have, I have an Indian brand of chai, which I cook on my stove, uh, boil the water, put in the tea, uh, the, gra- the uh, black uh, uh, tea, and then a lot of milk and a lot of sugar, and I drink that every morning. So that's been a change in my day. And then I, I eat a lot of uh, food with, with students and with families that I know. I invite myself over because you know, Jesus didn't have his own home. He was constantly inviting himself to other homes, including Zacchaeus. And so, uh, so I follow that model as well of, of inviting myself and eating a lot of of. Uh, great Gujarati food. So that's, so that's been a change. And then my lifestyle, Gujaratis and Indians in general don't follow schedules too much. They don't have too much of a concept of time. And so uh, the relationship is more important than a schedule. So I've changed a little bit in that I'm, I'm uh, often late to meetings or uh, sometimes um, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll stop by on the spur of the moment to see Indians, although I usually text ahead of time. But but for an Indian to say to me, or Gujarati especially, to say to, to me, Andy, can we meet next Wednesday at 6 p.m. for dinner? That's completely, completely uh, foreign or just not understandable to them because they say, if, you're, if I'm your friend, I can come anytime. You don't, I don't need an appointment to see you. So, so that's been a change in terms of the f- uh, focus on the relationship. Andy, that reminds me when <clears throat> you had some training in Bel Air and I heard an hour and a half on uh, Indians uh, in general and how their their circles of friends and how it's different. And here in our culture, you don't show up at somebody's house uninvited, okay? But in that, 
culture you do. And so kind of brings up the next question. Describe the way collectivism plays out among the Gujarati. I mean, we're all individualists. We're all gunslingers, right? In this, yes. In this North America. But not, not true. What Could you explain collectivism here, the Gujaratis? Yes. Yeah. So the opposite of collectivism is individualism. And so it's helpful to, to understand both. And basically, a, uh, it's, it's played out, let's say, at a restaurant. So when, when an American family, and that America is the most individualistic uh, culture by far, it's an outlier, no other country is even close. But when an American family goes out to eat, there would be the husband, the wife, and two kids, and everybody would look at the menu, and they would, even if the child is three years old, the question, what would you like to eat, dear? You, And so everybody would order. There would be a kid's menu, of course, and all four would choose what they want, and then it would come individually, and they would all have their own uh, dish, and they uh, no sharing, of course, and when they're done, if they're not, didn't finish it, they would each get a, a doggy bag, and they would take it back. And that's completely opposite of a uh, of a collectivist family. It wouldn't just be the husband and wife and two kids. It would be grandma, aunt and uncle, maybe some cousins. So it would be a big group would go out to eat. And then whoever the senior person is, the kind of the maybe it's an uncle, one of the uh, uh, father, maybe even grandmother. She would she would she would look at the menu. There's no menus being passed around. She would look at the menu and decide for everybody what to order. And it wouldn't be individual. It would be a, a group of dishes uh, that would come. And when you sit down at the table, there's just a stack of plates, not a pl- uh, and the plates are passed out. When the food is ready, it comes, and everybody everybody shares. There's there's a spoon in each dish, and everybody shares. And uh, the the children they they share along with the, they eat adult food, spicy adult food. And so that's one way illustrated. The other way is decisions. So an American child, they, they, they can decide what they, where they want to go to college, for instance. And, but it, uh, for an for a Indian family or others from collectivist families, the, uh, the, uh, the 18-year-old who's going off to college, they don't have a say usually. They, it's a family decision. What is best for the family? And, of course, that's played out with marriage what we call an arranged marriage. Right. It's not an individual decision. The family shortlists a few, and they have to be from the right community. So that would be another example. An individualist, uh, there, there would be uh, the husband, the uh, your son or your daughter, they will decide who they want to marry. So that's, that's, kind of, that's how it's played out. And it, it also plays out in religion, too, making a decision about any major decision for collectivist family, collectivist culture is a family decision, period. That was certainly a surprise to me when I got involved with international students, that that whole difference uh, between the individualists that we tend to be. You obviously know many, many Gujaratis. How how do you decide who you're going to become close to? Yes, I meet so many Gujaratis, and I don't have the, uh, the capacity to be close to too many. And in fact, I used to ask Gujarati friends, how many, how many close friends do you have? It's got the, this inner circle uh, relationship. How many, what, what's your capacity? And their capacity is pretty high, but still they would say, uh, they would say probably 10 to 12 that they would constantly be in touch with. And um, yeah, so 
and my capacity is is also pretty high. But yeah, how do you decide which ones you're going are going to make it into your inner circle? And the reality is that's something that I, I seek discernment from God for. I usually can tell if they are looking for a, someone with who who has a a depth to them, not superficial. And often it's someone who's a reader. So I, I will often ask them for a book recommendation. Not so much, this, this is not so recently, but but there's, uh, there's so many different ways to communicate now. But in the past, I would ask, are you basically trying to figure out if they're a reader? Also, uh, Gujarat is a, is a dry state, means no alcohol is sold in Gujarat. Some Gujaratis, when they come to the U.S., tend to imbibe a little bit when they have the freedom. But the ones that, that don't, I know that they are they have good hearts also, the ones that are that are uh, keeping their, their more conservative values. I'm really yeah, looking for someone who is more more conservative as well. And, uh, and I can, yeah, I, I think God has given me the discernment to kind of tell uh, if they are, if, if they're going to be, if, uh, and what's, yeah, if they're going to be, if I'm going to be able to connect with them at a deep level. You know, it goes back to what you said earlier about your general approach in, in prayer. It seems like that's the leadoff and, and looking for discernment from God. Um, with that in mind, how do you share the gospel? You're going to pray, obviously, but what's next? After you pray, how do you share with a Gujarati friend? Yeah, that's a, a great question because it turns out the way that if we share the gospel with words doesn't make any sense to Gujarati. The words that we use, the even the concept of sin, uh, which we often talk about, that has no meaning for them. And so, what what I um, but we know God's word has great power. And so, what I and and we and we know that the scripture uh, has the gospel in it. And so, what I usually do is I have a a, a Gujarati translation of the Bible. And so I rely on God's word as we read the Bible together. Some call this a um, uh, more of a discussion approach rather than a study. Even the word Bible study doesn't make sense to Gujaratis. But, but I really see the power of God's word when they read God's word aloud. And I've actually, this is part of my language learning, actually, is, is more recently I've used uh, a, a Gujarati translation of the Bible to... Um, to learn Gujarati. In fact, every morning I read the Bible in Gujarati as well as in English, and uh, and so I, uh, as one of my projects is is translating the Bible into from English to Gujarati. Although there are translations, but a lot of the words there are Gujarati translations, but a lot of the words are not understandable to someone who's a Hindu, and so uh, so I share. I ask them to read the story. I read. Read the, read the story in Gujarati, and then we we discuss it and try to understand it. And it's not easy because of the even a term like baptism is hard to translate, hard to get the meaning. So it's a it's a challenge uh, with the, with the students, uh, especially in the, in the ones that have graduated. But but again, I rely on God's word speaking to them, and I think that God's word is the best. Uh, the best evangelists. I don't know if you've heard that before, but that's that's why Wycliffe started with with Cameron Townsend, the right. Bible in your own. He said the Bible in your own tongue is the best missionary. 
It never needs a furlough and is never considered a foreigner. <clears throat> Andy, I'm going to ask you now to set aside your your role as the individual who shares and speaks. Uh, I want you now to get into that, uh, the manager, the supervisor role. Uh, you've worked with, you've had a lot of staff uh, under you. You've had uh, a lot of volunteers. Uh, let's say someone is listening to all this and it's like, oh, I've never heard this stuff before. But, but God works in their heart, and they're, they're thinking, gee, I, I might want to get involved. I don't know. Lord's leading me. What, what are some ways a person could get involved with serving internationals? Yeah, there are many, many ways to serve internationals. It's called, a, it's called being a welcomer. But I think my biggest recommendation is to not try to do it alone. And so I think it's important to find others that are uh, interested and also to, uh, to, to be involved through your local church. I think the church is very, very uh, it's meaningful to have the same theological uh, background, the same pastoral support that comes to a church. And, and so I would suggest uh, also being prayed for as, as part of your church's outreach effort. And once you have at least two, that's a team. Once you have uh, prayer from the church, then the next step is to connect with international students. And this day and age, uh, it's, it's not as hard. That's something where ISI can help with. So you could go to internationalstudents.org, which is our website, and uh, find out if there's a staff person in your area. And because that's the challenge, it's connecting. But more and more, uh, it just takes going, let's say, to a uh, to, onto campus to the cafeteria or to a, a grocery store, let's say a, a Asian grocery store, and just ex- introducing yourself and being interested in them, and uh, and being interested in, let's say, you meet someone from South India and say, I, I'm interested in dosa, and if you express a little bit of interest. Then you end up with a friend many times. And the other, the other uh, idea, the best place to make connection is if your local campus uh, ha- will have an Indian Student Association. And so go- going to one of their events, let's say a Diwali party, uh, it's usually not very religious. It's a place to, co- uh, to celebrate and connect. And so I would encourage going to one of those events or a, a, a Chinese New Year event on campus. It's easy to find them. And, and with your team, uh, I don't advise going alone, but with your team going and just expressing interest in their culture, exchanging a number, and then you end up potentially with a friend and you can invite them, invite yourself over. So that's, that's what I suggest. We briefly touched on it before, but let's just follow that progression. So let's say you kind of got interested. There's some people in your church, maybe somebody on staff is interested. Um, if a church is near a local university and there's you know, no other groups available. Um, by the way, it doesn't have to be a university. I have worked with interns who are working in the hospitality industry at some of the high-end resorts here in Colorado. Uh, so not a university campus, but, and, but anyway, many internationals. So, but if a church wanted to work with them, what, uh, how do they contact uh, you uh, uh, or uh, ISI, and what kind of resources? We briefly touched on that before. 
Yeah, so it's in terms of resources, it's a big advantage to know about a specific culture, to not be a generalist. Let's say if I'm meeting a, a student from Japan, I, I, it's very helpful if I know uh, more than a little bit about Japanese culture, what, what uh, Japanese religion, Japanese food. And so there are great resources for specific cultures. And so I think that's an important. So, uh, for instance, I'm part of a group uh, called the MARG Network that focuses on information and knowledge about uh, Indians in the U.S. And, and I even have, I have a podcast about where I go through each state of India, including Gujarat, to give information about it from different perspectives. And so the website is margnetwork, M-A-R-G network.org, for instance. So that's about India. And there are other resources for uh, Jap Japan, resources for Chinese culture, for, for uh, other cultures. So, uh, But the, a good place to start is uh, the website is internationalstudents.org. That's for ISI. And, and if it's your church, you can fill out an inquiry form there. And then someone, probably me, will follow up with a list of your specific resources that will be helpful in your setting or even for uh, doing training within the church. Uh, the, uh, we talk about uh, basically how to experience God. There's a lot of different, um, uh, I think a lot, it's helpful to have a lot of training equipping, just as if you're going overseas to a different culture, it's, it's very helpful to not, not to go in uh, kind of blind, so to speak. And I have to attest to what Andy is saying. <clears throat> I was part of a, <clears throat> a church ministry and uh, entirely independent of uh, any other organization. And they had been around for about 20 years. And one of the things we noted, uh, <clears throat> we were near a, a medical university, a large contingent of Indians. And in 20 years, nobody in that ministry was able to make any significant connections. As I said, I spent an hour and a half listening to Andy uh, in Bel Air one day. I got home and I told my wife, we've done everything wrong and sat down with a core team. And, and we, there was about half a dozen things that we could see that we were offending people from the moment we picked them up at the airport. And so they never stayed longer than one time at our meetings. Once we understood the culture from what I had heard and transmitted to them, all of a sudden, everything changed, and within three months, we we made so many significant friends. Uh, as Andy said, actually, I actually have two Indian sons now, um, mm -hmm. so I th I think ISI has got some great information and training to help you all. Uh, if you have found this interesting, and um, I will tell you, you can continue. You can listen to Andy's podcast, and he gave you the site. Andy puts out newsletters, uh, I think it's once a quarter, right? Every six weeks. Every six weeks. Uh, my wife and I support a lot of missionaries, and we get a lot of uh, newsletters from missionaries. And they're, they're all good. They help you to know what's going on in their life, what to pray for, and this and that. One of the things I love about Andy's newsletters is, from start to finish, it is a story, and everything contributes. So when you're reading it, it is always extremely interesting and he gets all the things he wants to stay in there, but it all ties together. He, he is a good storyteller. 
And so if you would like to get his newsletter, you can certainly email uh, the station here. And, uh, you know, we'll have your a name and your email address, and we'll pass it on to Andy, and you can get his newsletters. So you can go online, and you can look at the tab that says About Us, and you'll see a Contact Us, and then a, a form will come up where you can fill out your information and say what you want. Or you can simply go and take this uh, email address for, the, for KTLF, and it is station, like radio station. It is station at ktlfradio.org, station at ktlfradio.org. Um, I would ask you, even if you don't get Andy's newsletters, uh, please consider going on a, a line and giving the, uh, the radio station some uh, feedback on, on this podcast series. And is it helping you, uh, you know, the good or the bad? But I, I think management, uh, myself, everybody would like to see how are we doing and, and is this impactful? Should we continue? Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to have Andy pray for the listeners, for you in just a moment, and that opening your heart to this kind of a, a ministry and witnessing. But before I do, I, I want to tell this very brief thing. I have witnessed you know, many times to international people, international students, and I have to say my, my most effective time is in the car at night taking them home. It's 9.30 at night. It's in the winter. It's cold. And I'll get a question for the young man sitting next to me. Now, folks, this is a God question, a God moment. And let me give you the, 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 the Bible verse. It's 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer. Uh, to anyone ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. And I think Andy said the same thing uh, already in that if we show kindness and grace, and in our case, we spent three and a half hours with these people, young people. We fed them. We got to know about them, uh, what they're doing, what their families are like, got to do some laughing, maybe some serious discussion. And now three and a half hours later, they know whether they can trust us or not, and they will ask a question. But the underlying question is, Please tell me about the reason for the hope that you have. I mean, they, they don't know how to put it in that word, but that's what they're asking. And so, friends, this is your memory verse for today, First Peter 3.15. Andy, as always, it is a blessing to, uh, to talk to you and to uh, hear where your ministry is going. Um, would you pray for our listeners and for them to have a heart uh, for, for internationals? Of course. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for all cultures, all ethnic groups, all peoples. Thank you that you love them so much that you brought so many here uh, to, to our neighborhoods, to our doorsteps, literally, and to our colleges and universities. And uh, yet often uh, we, we uh, walk right by them. We don't notice uh, those from other cultures, even our neighborhoods. And we just, we just pray for each uh, person listening Uh, today that you will uh, give them a heart 
to share the love of Jesus, uh, not just with words or not only with words, but with actions and with, uh, with these precious men and women that you have sent here, that you have ordained that would be in our neighborhoods and on our campuses. And we just pray that you will uh, give us the motivation and the ability and the courage to embody the characteristics of your Holy Spirit to these precious men and women uh, who are here and who are from different cultures than ours. And we just pray in it knowing uh, with the hope that is in the gospel, the gospel message, and we thank you for the privilege of being on your team, of serving you, and we thank you that you, uh, that we know the future, that there will be worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping at your throne, as it says in Revelation 7-9. So we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.